Thank you, Dan. Thank you, choir, for beautiful worship this morning. Continue our sermon series from the Matthean Gospel. We're in Matthew chapter 7, still in that Sermon on the Mount, verses 13 and 14. The day Mike Del Cavo made the right turn. It was a pleasant but cool day in Riverside, California. 45 degrees, slight breeze, slightly overcast. Mike Del Cavo and his cross-country teammates from Western State College had traveled all the way from Gunnison, Colorado to Riverside, California in hopes of coming home with the Division II NCAA National Championship in cross country. Now their hopes, their hopes were based on a solid history. Why in the last 14 years, Western State College had finished first, second, or third in the national championship. So they were a favorite in the contest to be sure. The team consisted of seven guys and seven girls. The year had gone well for Mike Del Cavo himself. He was an academic All-American, and if he could finish in just the top 25, he would now become named an official All-American. His coach, Scott Groom, told me personally that Mike Del Cavo was a very, very solid athlete who ought to do well in the national championships. They had practiced the 10K run the day before, as was the custom. A beautiful golf course in Riverside was a setting for this all-important national championship. Oh, there were lush fairways as they ran by. There was carpet-like greens, pristine white sand traps, a perfect setting for the all-important Division II cross-country national championships. The gun sounded. The runners were off. All was going as planned for Del Cavo. He was in the middle of the pack, in the front of the middle, why, he said, I was right where I wanted to be. I was in striking distance. That's where I'm comfortable. That's, well, that's when he realized that everyone in front of him had taken the wrong course. All the runners in the front were actually going the wrong way. He excelled on steep climbs, and so, and the day before practice, he had remembered when he came to that steep climb, that was where he was going to kick it in and try to make it to the front of the pack. And so, when he turned the corner and was ready to go up the steep climb, he realized that all of them had gone to the right when they needed to go to the left to go up the steep hill rather than around it. Well... I was so fascinated by this story printed in many publications, and including Sports Illustrated, 
that I had to talk to Mike Del Cavo myself. I tracked him down, finally found him in Boulder, Colorado, and I asked him on the telephone about this bizarre turn of events where the field had gone the wrong way. They had missed the practice course and, well, they'd gone to the right instead of going up the hill. He simply stated to me on the telephone, no one in front of me was going by the designated course. I shouted, come back, guys, come back. You've gone the wrong way. You're going the wrong way. But no one listened. They just ran in front of me and they followed the pack. Everyone was blindly following the leader in front. They veered to the right when they should have gone up the hill to the left. His mind was racing as well as his feet. He began to think, well, should I just go with them and go the wrong way? Or should I go the right way and stay the course? And will I be the national champion by default because everybody else in front has gone the wrong way? Well, he had a split second to make up his mind, but Mike Del Cavo decided he would go the right way even if the whole pack went the wrong way. Mike Del Cavo stayed the course. He went the long, lonely route while the rest of the pack, well, they took a self-made shortcut. They cheated. It wasn't even 10K that they ran that day. Now, his grandmother's name is Frances. And Frances Del Cavo was waiting at the finish line for her fast-footed family member, her grandson. And usually he was in the first few across the line. And he came in 123rd, 123rd. Francis Del Cavo knew something was wrong. Was he injured? What was wrong with the grandson? He was usually a contender to win the race. And so she was pacing back and forth. And finally, here he comes, 123. And breathless, he says, Grandma, everybody else went the wrong way. I went the right way. Well, what are they going to do? What are the race officials going to do well believe it or not it's an astonishing decision you wonder if the officials would have egg on their face how they'd ever get out of this mess what would they do the national championship officials decided they would change the official course to be the shorter course that was taken by all the runners who went the wrong way. Del Cavo finished more than six minutes behind the leaders of the pack. Well, his team settled for third place. If they had kept the right course, well, Western State would have been declared the national champions. At the award ceremony, the officials tried to cover up the chaotic circus by giving Del Cavo the silent treatment. They didn't even talk about it. They didn't even say that there'd been this terrible incident and, and runners had gone the wrong way. They just acted like it didn't happen and, and just acted like he was six minutes behind the leader. <laughs> That's when Grandma Del Cavo kicked into gear. <laughs> She called the TV station, said she might have a story they'd be interested in. She called the newspapers. Sports Illustrated kicked in. Well, there you go. They didn't change anything. The team made a long, silent trip all the way back home to Gunnison, Colorado, 
in third place when by all rights they were the first place finishers. Well, I had to ask him, Mike, I said, if you could run that race over again, which way would you go? Mike Del Calvo responded to me personally, Sir, I would run the right way every single time. Jesus sees the crowds. He goes up a hill and he sits down like teachers of old sat in order to teach northwest of the Sea of Galilee. The anxious disciples sit down and Jesus begins to tell them what it is like to be part of the kingdom of God. Here in, in chapter 7 and verse 13, Jesus begins to contrast two ways, two kinds of fruit, two kinds of followers, two kinds of builders. And in each case, there is a sharp distinction drawn between true discipleship and mere religious activity. Jesus brings his sermon to a close with a clear call for action. What is immediately striking about verses 13 and 14 is the absolute nature of the choice before us. Instead of having a plethora of possibilities, Jesus says there is but one choice and two ways. The first thing I want you to see is Jesus says there are just two ways. There are just two ways. Standing at that road to decision, that image of having two paths and being able to, to pick is an ancient image in Scripture. We think about Abraham and Lot when they're about to divide their ways and divide their flocks. And Abraham says to nephew Lot, you choose which way you want to go and I will go the other way. Lot looks at the lush Jordan and the green grass, and he decides to take his flocks in that direction. And of course, that's close to Sodom and Gomorrah, and it leads him into the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, destroys his family. His wife becomes the familiar story, the pillar of salt. Yes, that absolute choice. Choose which way you're going to go. It makes us think about Lot. It also makes us think about Joshua who stood before the ancient Israelites and said, if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which are beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The people shouted in unison, we will serve the Lord, our God, who led us out from the land of Egypt. We think about Abraham and Lot and the two ways in the moment of decision. We think about Joshua and choose you this day whom you will serve. And then we think about the psalmist in that very first song of the songbook. He says there's two ways. There's the way of the righteous who delight in God's law and they bear fruit and they prosper. Or there is the way of the wicked, the way of the righteous or the way of the wicked. They're driven like dust before the wind, the wicked, and they perish. In Matthew, in the sermon today, one way is easy 
It's broad, it's spacious, it's roomy. The other way is narrow and confining. It has boundaries that are clearly marked, and the broad way seems to offer so much more, so much more freedom. C.S. Lewis, Christian writer and intellect, in his autobiography, Surprised by Joy, says, even as age 13, now he's so smart, you can imagine this, he said it began to broaden his mind, and soon, in the famous words, I was altering, I believe, to one does feel. I changed from I believe to one does feel. Oh, the relief of it, Lewis recalled. From the tyrannous noon of God's revelation, I passed in the cool evening twilight of higher thought where there was nothing to be obeyed and nothing to be believed except for what was comforting or exciting to me alone. But the narrow way is in God's revelation His revealed truth in His Word imposes a limitation both on what we can believe and how we can act. And in a real sense, let's be honest, that's a narrow, hard way. The broad way seems to offer so much tolerance, permissiveness, no curbs, no boundaries, and thought or conduct. Travelers on this road, you go the broad road, you can follow your own inclination, follow the desires of the human heart, fallenness, superficiality, self-love, hypocrisy, mechanical religion, false ambition, censoriousness. Well, you don't have to learn those things or cultivate those. If you go the broad way, you can just be who you are, follow your heart's desire, live in the fallenness of Adam. There's no doubt about it. Trying to walk the Christ-like path is the most difficult endeavor that any human will actually ever try to do. God's way is not spacious. God's way is confining. Poverty of spirit does not come naturally. Prayer is not easy. Righteousness is not easy. Being transformed into God-centered attitudes are not easily achieved. It is so hard to love the unlovable, to forgive those who quite honestly do not even deserve forgiveness. That's the narrow road to live like Christ. Apart from the gospel, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit of the Christ, we could never Walk the narrow road. Jesus says there are two options. The narrow gate, the way is small. The broad gate, the way is wide. Every one of us comes to that moment in our life, and it happens over and over again where we have to choose, will we go the narrow way or will we go the broad way? For me, the first time I actually realized that was when I went to high school. I I realized there were two different ways, the way the crowd was going and and the way I, I knew that I should go. To be true to my family and to my faith, faith in my parents and my grandparents, would I, would I start drinking as a ninth grader like the crowd was, or would I go the narrow way? Would I become sexually active like so many high school students do, or would I save myself for marriage? 
See, over and over again, the choice was before every high school student, do you go the narrow way or the broad way? And in college, those choices are replicated all over again. Do I cheat and get that test that someone has in a file, or do I do my own work? You see, we're all faced at that moment in life with the broad way and the narrow way. Oh, there are clearly two ways to travel. And the broad way is the way that the crowd is going, and the narrow way is a path that is seldom ever even trodden upon. Every time we insist on going our own way and doing our own thing, having our own way, ignoring all that is orderly and righteous, and thus saith the Lord God Almighty, we find ourselves in a lawless mess. Have you heard the name of Larry Walters? If you have, you know, number one, that his story is true, and it is absolutely unbelievable. You see, Larry is a truck driver, and he really wanted to be a pilot. He wanted to be a pilot. It was his lifelong dream. And in fact, after he graduated from high school, he, he enlisted with the Air Force in hopes, the dreams, lifelong dream of becoming a pilot. But he couldn't pass the eyesight test to be a pilot. And so eventually he was discharged out of the service and as close as he got to a fighter jet was sitting in his own backyard and watching those instruments cross each other in the sky and, and just knew he wanted to experience the magic of flying. And, and why couldn't he fulfill that dream? And, well, that's the day that Larry Walters got an idea. He went down to the Army-Navy surplus store and he purchased a large tank of helium. And he purchased 45 weather balloons. Now, I don't mean the little colorful balloons you have at your kid's birthday party. I mean, these are four feet across. And he took a lawn chair. Yes, just the kind of lawn chair you have in your backyard. And he took these canvas straps and he connected these 45. Now, imagine 45 weather balloons. He filled them with a the tank of helium and... Well, he, he anchored his lawn chair to the back of his Jeep with a rope, and he went inside, and he made himself some sandwiches and got some drinks, and he got a BB gun. He figured if he needed to come down, he'd start shooting those balloons, and, and then he would come down slowly. You know, he wasn't going to shoot all 45, just shoot them one at a time. And so there's Larry Walters, 45 helium-filled weather balloons, and... Well, he cuts the rope, and he imagined in his mind that he would slowly drift up to about 150, maybe 200 feet, and there he would just float around a while and eat a sandwich and take a day. Oh, man, I don't know what he was thinking that day. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of meandering up into the sky, he shot up like a rocket. <laughs> and he didn't go 200 feet high. He went 11,000 feet high. Well, he decided he might not shoot anything with a BB gun at 11,000 feet, lest he tumble to his death below. And so he couldn't do anything but sit in the lawn chair and eat sandwiches. <laughs> he was up there 14 hours. 
And then he began to drift into the approach of the Los Angeles International Airport. <laughs> Wouldn't you have loved to have been there when this happened? <laughs> a Pan Am pilot radioed into the tower. There's a guy in a lawn chair at 11,000 feet <laughs> with a gun in his lap. The helicopter, the Navy dispatched a helicopter that tried to go and rescue him, but every time they got close, they just pushed him out further. And at nightfall, the winds changed, and he was going out to sea. And so he was going to die. When the th so finally, instead of coming this way, they went on top of him and lowered a rope. He was able to grab the rope, and they took him down. And uh, when they landed, he was immediately arrested. And a reporter asked him, Mr. Walters, why did you do it? His reply, and I quote, was, and I quote, a man can't just sit around, close quote. <laughs> what was true of Larry Walters is true of you and me. If we insist on going our way instead of God's way, if we insist on just filling the balloons of desire and let them sail where the wind might blow, instead of cautiously measuring and calculating, we find ourselves adrift on the broad way in danger. Not only are there only two ways. Number two, the majority seldom ever go the right way. The majority seldom ever go the right way. I remember a lot of things my grandfather told me, but one thing he repeated often was, don't follow the crowd. The crowd will always go the wrong way. That's what Jesus had said. There are many who go the broad way and there are few who choose to travel the narrow way. God cannot be found by majority vote or majority opinion. The majority road is the road that leads to everlasting destruction. Paul said the same thing when he said, let God be true and every man be found a liar if need be. Let God be true and every man found to be a liar if need be. Just like the majority of the runners in Del Cavo's NCAA Division II cross-country national championship race, majority usually choose to go the wrong way. The great majority of runners in the race were blindly following the leaders of the pack, not thinking for themselves, not asking themselves, is this the course we ran in practice yesterday? They just followed the footprints in front of them without ever asking the hard questions. The broad way is easy. It's busy. It's a thoroughfare, thronged by pedestrians of every kind. It is the narrow and hard way which leads to life, but it seems to be deserted. Jesus anticipated that his followers would be a despised minority. Jesus is not surprised that we are a despised minority movement. He saw the multitudes on the broad road laughing and carefree with apparently no thought for the dreadful end that is at the end of the road they have chosen. On the narrow road, Jesus saw his followers would be a happy band of pilgrims. 
hand in hand, backs turned upon sin, faces set towards a celestial city, singing songs of expectation and marching to the promised land. Yes, you can't go with the crowd. Several years ago, psychologists rediscovered the dramatic power of societal pressure, of peer pressure. They invited 10 teenagers to go into a room, and they had three boards, and on each board there were three lines. And the question was, when I point to the longest line, raise your hand. Nine of the teenagers had been told to raise their hand when the attendant appointed, pointed to the second longest line. One sole student was the experiment. So they walk into the room, there are three boards, there are three lines, a long line in different order, but there's always a, a second longest line and then a, a shortest line. And every time that the attendant pointed to the second longest line, nine of them raised their hand that that was the longest line. And 75% of the time, the student who was the experiment would look around kind of puzzled and then raise her hand and join the majority to say that the second longest line is the longest line. Peer pressure will make you go against your gut a lot of times. All of us are prone to do that, to believe what others are believing, to walk the way that others are walking. Peer pressure is an amazing, powerful force. Jesus says his disciples will not play to the galleries nor conform their values according to the passing approval of faddish whims. What right is right and what's wrong is wrong and is not up for a vote it is revealed in God's holy word. Here's a third thing. There are two destinations. There are two ways and not many find the narrow way, but there are two destinations. We hear this already in that first song of the Psalter where we have the prospering versus the perishing. There are two alternatives. Moses made it clear still when he said, See, I have set before you this day life and good, death and evil, blessing and a curse. Therefore, choose life. You see, the two paths, the broad path and the narrow path, they're not ends to themselves. They lead to designated ends. And the tragedy is that the majority who take the broad way find themselves in destruction. And yet, if you ask them, where are you going? What's at the end of the path that you've chosen to walk with the majority? They'd simply reply, well, I'm no worse off than the guy beside me, and surely this can't lead to destruction. I would say to you this morning that Scripture encourages no sort of optimism. These are not my words. I want you to hear. I'm simply telling you what Rabbi Jesus has said. These are his words. This is his sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It is Jesus of Nazareth who says before you in Scripture that there are two ways, a broad way and a narrow way, and the majority will choose the wrong way, and that way will lead to destruction. These are not my words. If they were, you could discount them. These are the words of Jesus. And the narrow way, he says, leads to life. 
Every time I ponder Mike Del Cavo's race, it seems absolutely unfathomable to me that the NCAA Division II cross-country national championship officials would actually decide that because the majority went the wrong way, they were now going to call the wrong way the right way. Jesus says when he's in charge of the judging, there'll be no such changing, no altering the course, no redefining right or wrong, for he has already revealed it in his word. Two ways, hard and easy. Two gates, broad and narrow, trodden by two crowds, large and small. There's no neutral group, ending with two destinations, life or death. Some of you here today need to choose the right way. Like Mike Del Cavo, you need to go up the hill when the crowd is going around the hill. You need to choose Christ. You need to choose Christ's bride, the church. You need to choose God's revelation versus man's opinion. Won't you choose Christ today? Won't you choose life today? Won't you choose the narrow way? In fact, so much unlike Del Cavo's Del Cavo's and the award ceremonies of the Division II National Championships. While the officials shunned Del Cavo and honored the majority who'd come the wrong way, we learned that on God's great day, it is the small minority who went the right way who will be rewarded with the righteousness of their Jesus. Let us pray. Oh God, I know some watching by way of television and some in this great sanctuary, that Satan himself is calling them to walk the broad way, the easy way. Their friends are pressuring them in school on Monday or for the rest of us in the workplace. And Father, we're invited to enter a broken culture and we are belittled and made fun of and we will not redefine morality based on the latest poll. It matters not what creation thinks. It only matters what creator reveals. May we heed the words of Jesus today, O God, who tells us we will choose the broad or the narrow. We'll choose destruction or we'll choose life. We'll choose heaven or we'll choose hell. There is no in-between. Perhaps there's someone who needs to come today, O God. You have spoken to him. You have spoken to her. And like all of us in the room, it is his day or her day to say, I choose Jesus. I choose to walk the narrow way. I choose to be a pilgrim and join him on his journey. And though it may lead to crucifixion, in the end is glorious resurrection and eternal life. In Jesus' name. Amen.